One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have you guys along and super excited for today's show. Um, you know, since last Friday, not a lot happened. I am still on somewhat of a, a performance high, though. I got to see Rent, which, you know, if you guys know me and know the play No Day But Today for me, uh, the, the book that I, I wrote uh, about that play, uh, it got to come through Birmingham and I got to take my family to it. It was the first time my son sat down and saw the play and look over and, you know, 13-year-old cool kids in tears. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool to see. But um, other than that, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on the recap of the week because I want to get straight to our guest. I'm so excited that she's here with us. Um, and just to tell you a little bit about her, she's been performing in theater, television, and film since the age of six. In 1989, she was cast as a Mouseketeer on the Disney's Channel's all-new Mickey Mouse Club, performing alongside Brittany and Christina and Justin, Ryan, Carrie. You know them all. We've talked about them on the show. Uh, but she was one of only three cast members to appear in the pilot and all seven seasons. Since then, she's gotten onto Broadway. She uh, played the role of older uh, Helen in Hollywood Arms uh, and just completed the Chicago engagement of First Wives Club. Regionally, she starred in Freaky Friday, Young Frank Frankenstein, Legally Blonde, Let's Mess Behave, Having It All. She's gotten a couple of L.A. Ovation nominations during that. Uh, on the TV and web, she's uh, started Jessica Jones, Liza on Demand, Lethal Weapon, uh, How I Met Your Mother, I Didn't Do It, Bedtime Stories, Ernest Saves Christmas, which, you know, we all know Ernest Saves Everything. But her original uh, web series was fantastic. It was called On the Patio, and you can see that on onthepatiotv.com. She's a graduate of the University of Missouri-Columbia, the William Esper Studio in New York, and the Imagine Life Studio in Los Angeles, and is currently touring the world, and you can bring her to your organization with an acclaimed act called Blood, Sweat, and Mouseketeers. So let's bring her on, Miss Lindsay Alley. How are you, Lindsay? Hi, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. So I'm, I'm officially going to turn into your hype man. That's, that's, <laughs> I need to get out there and do that for you. Uh, it's Lindsay. I'm um, telling you, can you just travel with me and and do that as I walk into rooms? <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll do. Yeah, we'll do my uh, my, my my Michael Buffer uh, uh, impersonation. But I mean, let's talk about this though, right? You started acting at a really young age, right? Did you always know that that's where you were going to head? Um, you know, this is this is what happens, kids, when you're when your parents let you watch too many movie musicals. Um, I think I wore out my tapes of Annie and the Sound of Music, and 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 my parents actually took us. My my brother and I took us to um, my brother and me, excuse me, uh, to the theater from the moment we could sit. So um, I think that just planted a seed very early, um, and I knew I wanted to be a part of that. I I loved the way I felt in the theater. I loved the way I felt when I was watching those musicals on TV. And um, I knew I wanted to be in that world. Um, and it, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily show business. It was, I wanted to entertain people in that way. And I, I wanted to make people feel the way I felt when I, when I went to the theater. So, um, yeah. So I guess you could say I've always known. I've, I've known since probably I was five or six, truly. And so when you did the Mickey, I, I become uh, very protective of what I call the first five seasons of the Mickey Mouse Club. So w when you bring up Mickey Mouse Club and the all new Mickey Mouse Club, everybody does go to the ones they know. They go to Justin and Christina and Brittany, you know, like, oh, you know them. And I was like, yeah, but if these super talented kids on season one weren't <laughs> awesome, there wouldn't have been a season six. Right. And so I, the, That's I, a very I, good point, Rick. I've actually never thought of that <laughs> have you not oh i say it all the time that i'm like hilarious. if you guys had to kill it for five seasons or we look we may have still heard of justin and christina and Brittany, but we wouldn't have heard from them from the mickey mouse club it, it wouldn't have been the club pave the way for those kids <laughs> well good take it and own it because it's the truth you oh, guys killed it yeah you guys uh, killed it 
Thank you. So Thank what you. was it? What was your experience like? And, and I mean, for, for those of you that are trying to say, oh, I think I know the name or whatever. She was our cutesy. It was, there's always the cute one that you just want to squeeze the cheeks. Oh. That was our Lindsay. But uh, yeah. what mean, was that was, like for you? I was the youngest for, for a long time um, until I wasn't, um, until that second wave of kids came in. Uh, you know, it's so funny. It was, it was such a long time ago. There's sadly chunks of it that I, I don't even remember. I have, I have these very specific images now and, and very specific memories, but I don't have like, what did it feel like to be on set? I don't really remember. Isn't that sad? No, um, no. And it's not because I, I grew up and did a lot of drugs or, you know, drank it all away. It was nothing like that. But I, I think, um, you know, my, my big takeaway from the experience was this uh, sense of family and sense of, you know, these, these are the kids that I grew up with. It was my high school. And it all felt so normal to me. So when people are like, what was it like? Well, it was normal. It was, you know, I had this job on, on television and, and got to do these sketches and sing, you know, do these musical numbers with these awesome kids who were in my high school. Um, and it was, it was truly, it was truly wonderful. Um, but it, it felt strangely just normal to me. Um, that, that this was just my everyday. It, it's weird to say that, that a television show in your childhood could feel um, like, a, like a regular everyday activity, but that's what it was for me. What, what I found fascinating, it was pre-internet, right? So you, there was no following you on Twitter, or seeing you on Instagram, or you know, watching your Facebook, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was the handwritten letters you know, that would come in. Right. <laughs> but uh, on top of that, there really wasn't a sense of the impact that you guys were making. And I think that's what made our event in May so special, uh, which was the 30-year reunion. And so mm-hmm. first time we had cast members from all seven seasons on stage together. And, yeah. but, but the interaction with fans, talk about that a little bit. Um, well, in this, it was the same in the sense of um, we all kind of grew up together. And it was so wonderful that we didn't have Facebook and Insta. And we actually really connected face-to-face. Um, and those fans who came to the set uh, to see the tapings, I'm, I'm friends with. Like, they're in my life. They, they, are, they are my friends now, too. It's, um, there was this real sense of family. And then it was so cool uh, at the reunion to actually meet people face to face for the first time after receiving letters over the years or connecting through Facebook years later. Um, and then to finally see them in person and hug them. It, it felt like seeing a long lost family member. I'm not, I'm not being dramatic. It's true. Um, because we all had this, it was this common ground meeting place at five 30 on the, on the weekdays where we could all just, you know, let it all go, be kids, hang out together, whether we were on the show or you were a member of the show watching at home. Um, it, was our, it was our time to just be ourselves. And um, it was very unifying. Does, is, does that word make sense in this? It, it does. It does. I, I think one of the, the moments that sticks out the most for me, other than, you know, your performance for, for a room that was built for you, um, but the the thing that sticks out the most for me is when you were sharing with you that that you were going through like a braces stage, right? Yeah. And, and you do that when you got your braces and when you got them right. off, how the fans, you know, supported you. Yeah. And, you know, not to, I, I would never say anything disparaging about Disney or the producers because I had such an incredible experience on the show. Um, but they, they didn't want me to have braces. Um, and I think they were afraid of, I'm not sure what the exact words were to my parents when, when my dad told them that I was going to get them. Um, and they, they, I think they said something like, someone said something like, well, we don't have imperfect kids or something. I don't know what it was. We don't, we don't want this. We don't want her to have braces. I, I don't know what the exact words were. But my dad was like, look, she, 
could chew down a tree with these teeth. So <laughs> he needs these braces. Anyway, I got them and um, it was like this instantaneous connection with these other kids um, who had braces. Everybody was going through it. Everybody was dealing with something. And they saw themselves, you know, it's, it was representation, you know, um, on a very small level, it was just a mouthful of braces, but it, it had impact. Um, and it, it meant so much to the, to the viewers at home going through that, but it meant so much to me too, because even though I was on the show, I'm, I'm still a kid going through puberty and, and awkward stages. And it was so nice to get these letters from these fans all over just saying, I'm so happy to see you have them too. Um, and it just, it, it just made me feel so great. So, um, yeah, again, a unifying experience. So what we didn't know, and I just put two and two together is, uh, you do a joke about your, your husband's family in, in their teeth <laughs> and had Disney won, you would have just fit into the family essentially. Is that what exactly. exactly. <laughs> I say all the time that, you know, my husband's from the UK and I, I say I had to marry him. He's the only English guy I've ever met with nice teeth. So look, I had to do it. I had to marry him. But yeah, if I, if we had just let it go, you know, I still even say to this day, you know, Look, we can always move back to England and let our teeth go. We can just. <laughs> <laughs> What's the joke about you? Well, first them ruining the the pictures, but the. Oh, they, yeah, they they ruin. I I always say they his family ruined our wedding photos. <laughs> <laughs> his brother has teeth like a drunken graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Yep. So, so had you had Disney won, then you and her, his brother would have uh, more in common than you think. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What's the other the other thing that we say is, oh, he could eat an apple through a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these jokes. I'm sorry, you guys. That's my computer here. Let me. It's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's saying that I have messages, which you know are just spam. Anyway. Um, it just makes me laugh so hard. And of course, Lee just shakes his head now. And he's like, this is so tired, Linz. Come on, like get some new material. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. Uh, it makes me laugh every time. And, and what was so cool about the reunion is, you know, you tell stories about the Mickey Mouse Club and you tell stories about your family and tell stories about your mom and everybody was present there. Aww. You know, it yeah. was a lot of other than Justin, right? Which We'll, we'll, we'll save that joke for the corporate well, gigs. Exactly. We'll table that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I thought that was a really cool moment. So we're going to continue talking uh, with Lindsay. We're going to find out what she's done post MMC and then what the future holds for her as well. So we're going to take a quick break right here. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. We're on Alexa smart speakers and connected devices. Hey, Alexa, play Being Here podcast on Apple Podcasts. Try it now. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance. And welcome back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're visiting with the one and only Lindsay Alley. Uh, Lindsay, so we were just talking about your experiences on the Mickey Mouse Club, and obviously that was a big portion of your early life, but uh, you've now transitioned from a kid actor to an adult actor. What, what was that like? Hard. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a major thing. And I, I, think it's, I think it's really tough when you... Um, I think any kid actor would tell you this or anybody who's had success really early, um, which I did, uh, in a way it kind of sets you up to think that this is kind of how it's always going to be. Oh, this is just my life. I just go and, and work on TV shows and this is, this is who I am and what I do. And, um, it kind of, just shapes your worldview very early. And then when, uh, when the chips don't continue to fall that way, you start to wonder if there's something wrong with you and then you wind up in a lot of therapy and, and then you try to give it up and do something else and try other jobs, but realize that you don't love it as much as you love this one thing, so you stay the course. Um, and, and it's not that I haven't had success as an adult actor. It's just that my success was, was profound as, as a kid. And it wasn't just the Mickey Mouse Club. I mean, I started doing regional theater when I was six. Um, I mean, I did Annie at the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater when I was eight. I mean, working professionally, like paying taxes since the age of six. So, um, you know, making that transition... I still feel like I'm making the transition. You know what I mean? I still feel like I'm reinventing myself all the time or discovering something new. Um, but it, uh, it hasn't been like a series of slam dunks in my, in my uh, adulthood as it, as it was in my childhood. And, you know, sometimes I say it was college that kind of slowed me down. Um, I mean... It, it was very important to me and my family that I get a degree, but I think we all know that you don't really need a college degree to be an actor and you need to just keep doing it. And so a part of me wonders, should I have zigged instead of zagged? Um, meaning should I have, you know, maintained the momentum that I had as a kid and just moved to LA or moved to New York right after high school. Um, and instead I, I chose to kind of slow down and, and get this degree. And it, it was an amazing experience and I'm, I'm so happy that I have it, but I do still wonder <laughs> if things would have been different if I had just kept going, you know? Well, what's interesting, we call you an adult actor, but you're only 22 years old. Let's be honest. You still That's got right. A, yeah, you still got a whole life ahead of you That's there. Right. But um, years ahead of me. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've gotten a chance to visit with a lot of you, uh, the, the Mickey Mouse Club. And it, what's interesting to me is, you know, if you look at the normal acting career, you, 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 you're a success in high school or maybe some local theater, and then you're going to go to LA. And when you finally kind of make it, you know, that, that, that's a, a journey. But when you guys have Disney money behind you at such a young age, you know, I, when I talk with Damon and Chase and Dee Dee and them, you know, they had Disney money behind their recording, right? They were working with Dr. Dre and Teddy Riley and it just ridiculous producers at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And then that gets taken away. I, I feel like it's it, uh, you're two mountaintops further down than the normal actor coming back up. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And then there's when the other kids around you are blowing up, there is this sense of like feeling like a hamster on a wheel. Like you're trying to keep up on some level and, and recognizing that you can't. And, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, what, what am I trying to keep up with? I don't want to be a pop star. I don't, I don't want a career in that world. Um, but then there's this sense that you're like, oh, are people thinking what happened to her or where did she go wrong? Or, you know, it, it's just the mind games that go on. Um, so when people say to me, you know, my kid really wants to be in show business, 
um, what advice would you give? <laughs> I take a big pause before, before I give any answers or any advice because it hasn't been easy. It's, it's, a, it's a really tough business. It's a really tough career. Whether you're, you know, just starting out at age, you know, 20, or you got to start really early and you're, you know, trying to gear shift from child actor to adult actor. I think it's all really tough and it, it all comes in seasons. Um, and it's feast or famine. So I, I'm very cautious about advising parents to get their kids into show business. Um, and the only advice I can give is you have to stay in it if you can't think about doing anything else. If you, if you wake up thinking about it and you go to bed thinking about it and you dream about it and everything else feels like you're faking it, um, then you have to do it. Um, but but it, it is hard. It's really, it's a life of sacrifice and therapy <laughs> and booze. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, that have this fascination with fame, right? In fact, yeah. where, where, where you sometimes don't even become the person in front of them. It's, it's the character that you played. Yeah. Um, you know, no different than somebody walking down the street and they, they shout your character name. I think the difference, you know, for you guys in the Mickey Mouse Clubs, it was your name. There was no character. Right. It, it was just you. And, right. and uh, so, you know, it's, it, I, I, I can promise you this. I, I feel like I got to come into big brother role here for a second. I love um, you, Rick. Please. The, Please. the choices that you made back then and where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. There's no regret for past decisions and you know, it's, it's not like you, you didn't act because you, you were hooked on cocaine and, you know, in a crack house somewhere. It was you right. went to college. Right. And, and it, I think every decision and regret that we have in our lives becomes the, the building block and test for us to pass later. Right, right. So no regret on that decision. No regret. No, and you know, I, and I, I say that as um, almost as a joke um, because... It, it, I mean, the truth is, is I probably did slow things down a little bit. I'm so sorry, you guys. That's yeah, okay. Um, you know, it probably did slow things down, but would I, would I go back and change like all of the friends that I made, all the shows that I got to do, the, that collegiate experience, um, those boys that I got to make out with? I mean, like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Don't you tell our stories, Lindsay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how rumors get started. Exactly, right. I just, I mean, I, I wouldn't change any of it. It just, I think everybody does this to some degree. Like, if I had zigged instead of zagged, you know, what would my, how would life be different? But I saw some, and this is so embarrassing. It makes me sound real dumb, but I think I saw this quote on Instagram the other day. Um, and I don't, I don't know whose quote it is, but it, it said, stop pretending like it could have been any other way. And um, I don't know why it makes me emotional to even think that, but it does. It's like, that's right. Like this is, we are exactly where we're supposed to be on the map. And finding peace with that is, um, challenging sometimes but it's it's the truth we're exactly where we're supposed to be so you're right no regrets no regrets big brother oh and i'm i'm a big fan of energy right in in belief in energy and the manifestation of so uh i i operate as if i've already done a lot of things right it, it, which like, is so smart so cool which is why, you know, you're going to have 37 corporate gigs next year, right? <laughs> oh, please keep thinking all the thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to manifest that. Um, we're going to get into the, the one woman show in the next segment. But just a, as a teaser, you, you write quite a bit as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's, it's a form of therapy. But uh, in, in writing, one of the things I thought was so cool of the MMC 30 was your opening song was tailored to that audience. Is that something you do for, for most of your shows? It is, yeah. And I actually have help with that. I have two guys, two really brilliant writers who I work with regularly, um, Eric Kornfeld and David Goldsmith. Um, and, and 
we collaborate on these tunes and I take these, um, I take these concepts to them and think, okay, what makes a great parody? It's a song that everybody knows to start with. And how can we make it specific to them? How can we speak directly to them with our opening number? Um, because I really feel like that is what, you know, gets people listening straight away. If it's, if the show is for them, about them, um, and not just, hey, I'm going to show up with this stock opening number of the stock show. And I take a lot of, I take a lot of time and pride in the fact that we try to make things specifically for the audience we're entertaining. Well, it's, it's no different than why rock and roll shows, they come out and go, hey, Chicago, we That's love right. you. Yes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You want to you wanna speak to these people directly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's important to get all the inside jo- jokes in and, and, um, and make them feel like, you know, we know you are. We've got your number straight away. I think it, you know, uh, it gets people listening from the start. So. And I'm I'm very cognizant not to to release jokes or release material, but when you did the opening number at MMC 30 and you hit the line "Grown Up Musketeers," I mean the place just went oh yeah nuts yeah. yeah. But that was a perfect example of how you how you personalize the show for for the audience, which means uh, we're going to go into break here in a second. But if you're thinking, man, I really need something funny, something entertaining, something touching. Uh, go through all the emotions as the way to open up my conference or my corporate event, or we just want to laugh before we reveal the 10K numbers to our investors, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, think Lindsay, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that she personalizes. You know, if you got bad news to, to release about your earnings, let Lindsay do it in her show, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll do it that I love, way. <laughs> I love bringing down the hammer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 so we're going to take a break right yeah. here. We'll be right back with the fantastic Lindsay Alley. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end to end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to this Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, I'm going to be uh, in, in Boston this weekend. So if you guys uh, want to come out and see us, uh, Tony and Chase are, are doing a show out there at the City Winery. So we'll be out there to uh, support our brothers. Uh, come visit us uh, out there. I think it's sold out. So if we can just create a nice line out the front, that'll be fantastic for our crew. Uh, so coming back to Lindsay. Uh, so Lindsay, we were talking about uh, your, your one-woman show that you've been doing for years. T- talk to us about that. So, you know, it, it's, I feel like it started 
a million years ago. My friend Barbara Smith, uh, who is a, an actress in my hometown of Lakeland, Florida, um, was doing a little segment at the library one day uh, called People in Their Stories. And she wanted to interview me for this thing. And we had such a great time just riffing uh, for a teeny tiny little audience at our local library that it turned into a, a bigger show. And then I took that concept to college and, and kind of built out this little show in college. And then that transitioned to uh, Look Ma No Ears, a show that I ran off Broadway for um, six weeks back in 2006. Um, and then I, I took this version on gay cruises. And that's where the show kind of took on a whole new life because I was doing these cruises regularly in front of a very discerning audience <laughs> of, of gay guys on the high seas who had no problem saying what worked and what didn't work. And, and I was able to build out this act. And it wasn't, just, it wasn't just a cabaret act. It wasn't just song to song to song. Um, and this song was written by Cole Porter and this song was written by Beep Bop Boop. It was, you know, it, it had a, a real arc. Um, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I realized I had this Mickey Mouse Club hook that I could work with that certainly set me apart from other cabaret artists. And, um, and it started taking on this sort of life of, of stand-up as well. Uh, so it's, it's part stand-up, part musical comedy, uh, part touching cabaret. It's this hybrid show that kind of works for any audience I found. Um, and especially when you tailor the show specific to these audiences. Um, and, and, and it's, it's great fun. I've, it's the thing that I've always done. And I think it's one of the oldest, uh, ways to connect. It's so simple. It's just one artist and a musician on stage. It's, there are no pyrotechnics. There's, I don't even have a, a drummer or a bassist. It's just a piano. And it's very pared down, um, but it's a very effective um, entertainment tool. And to me, it's like old Vegas. You it know? is old Vegas. It is. It's the Great American Club Act. I'm bringing it back. There it is. There it is. And you're so dang funny in this uh, show. I mean, you just, but I, I, I mean, we went through the whole realm of emotions from, from tears to, to laughter to just, you know, being into it. You can captivate an audience with your voice as well. It's, it's just, but, but I love that you don't take yourself so seriously on stage. You know, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't, I mean, I, to start with, I, I look like a Muppet. So, I mean, if you look like a Muppet, <laughs> you can't really take yourself too seriously. you got to keep it real. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I think that it's just, I, I like seeing, I like seeing people be real on stage. You know, I, I strive for perfection in my shows, but like when I go to see other people perform, my favorite moments are when they go up on a lyric or they have to stop to collect themselves or they're at a moment where they can't remember what's coming next in their show. And we see these glimpse, we see a glimpse of, of a real person. And that's far more interesting to me than this super polished, pristine, you know, show that has been rehearsed within an inch of its life. You know, I love seeing the humanity in, in things like that. So you brought me back to Carol Burnett. That's why that was always so funny with her yes. and Harvey and Tim always trying to crack each other up when they totally. broke character. That was the funniest part. Yeah, it, it was the best part. It was the very best part. And it was the moment that people live for because you just saw, oh, my God, these people are having the best time and they're just people. So, um, yeah, they're people, people being people. Um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, maybe it's a way of letting myself off the hook for not being perfect when I'm up there um, because I, you know, there are little failures in every show, but um, the older I get, the more accepting I am of the imperfect show, the imperfect skate, as I call it. So um. <laughs> let's, let's be clear too, though. This is no Mickey Mouse show this the, the in fact just to peel the curtain back a little bit there was we had to negotiate uh 
because we were on site at Epcot and because it's family, we had to negotiate, you know, certain words and how many yeah. you could say and, you know, that kind of stuff. So you can go ultra clean, but yes, uh, yes. it is, it is a negotiation to see how far you can push that envelope. That's right. And I, and I, I stepped right up to the line, didn't I, Rick? <laughs> you did. You did. We, we, we actually negotiated a couple of words you didn't use. And I, I, didn't. You, you, I, I think you used, uh, um, uh, not antonyms, synonyms, but uh, you, you didn't use any, any words that you weren't supposed to. No, no. As my mother always says, Lindsay, please don't talk about your body parts. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the best too that your mom was in the audience. That was just oh a, yes, oh with God. with oxygen standing by and a and a crash cart like right right behind her. <laughs> and I I had a Disney representative right next to me, so <laughs> they're oh. they were just you know monitoring just in case. Yes, you know, that's the, right. The mouse is always watching. The mouse is always watching. <laughs> no, I mean like look, you know, if somebody says don't say this and don't say that, I'm I'm always going to be very respectful because I don't want to show up and and, um, you know, mess up the bed in someone's house. So, um, you know, I, I want to be asked back for God's sake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, let's be real. So we um, got about, we got about two minutes for break. What's one of your, what's a story of you doing something maybe you shouldn't have done, uh, while on set at MMC or while in the park at MMC? Um, well, nothing on set. I, I mean, I can't say that I was, um, I've always been a, a good girl. Like I've always been a rule follower and a people pleaser. So I don't step out too much. I mean, if somebody says, look, you cannot drop the F-bomb, I really won't. Like I, I, I might mouth it. Um, I might gesture something inappropriate, but I'm never, gonna, <laughs> I'm never going to come out and, you know, um, on set, like, I, I, again, I was always a kind of a good kid. Um, but I do remember one day, um, at convincing one of the PAs to let me drive a golf cart. And I was like, I don't know what he was thinking, letting me do this. I was 12. <laughs> I mean, the poor guy probably lost his job, but, um, I remember driving around the back lot of the set and I put it in reverse. And again, he's like sitting right next to me, totally letting me do this. I put it in reverse and drove right into the wardrobe trailer. And I put a huge gang <laughs> hole in the wardrobe trailer. I mean, look, it was no big deal, but I did damage Disney property. Yeah, that's um, the no-no. It, it, was, it, was, it was kind of bad. It's kind of bad. But uh, I think my parents um, were spoken to about it. But again, somebody allowed me to do this. So I'm not even, I'm not even so thinking yeah, it's not even your fault. No, this no. clearly, clearly was not no. your fault whatsoever. Totally assigning blame to someone else. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to take our last break here, and then we're going to talk about one of the biggest changes that, that's happened in your life. But we'll talk about that when we come back from break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. We're on Alexa Smart Speakers and Connected Devices. Hey, Alexa, play Being Here Podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Try it now. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program. 
at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance. And welcome back to the final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon with the great Miss Lindsay Alley. So, Lindsay, we, we teased it going into break, though. You've had a huge change in your life. Why don't you tell us what that is? Um, well, the biggest change is uh, having a baby at 40, <laughs> which seems like a totally appropriate thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I can't say I've I've I was always one of those people who, you know, desperately wanted kids. I, and I'm just keeping it real. Um, yeah, I, I, I often say I love kids. I'm, I'm a big fan of their work. I just, <laughs> I just wasn't sure I wanted to own one. And, uh, and then, um, you know, when my husband and I decided to kind of give it a go, it was very much a, you know, we'll see what happens. We're older. Um, it, it may or may not happen for us. Either way, we're fine. We're, we're totally happy if it's just us and that's, that's going to be our life. And, um, and I, I sort of got pregnant straight away, which was shocking to both of us. And I didn't tell anybody because I, I just, you know, you hear all these stories and you just sort of think, well, this might not this might not be a real thing. And then as the months ticked on, I thought, I, I guess this is real. Like, I guess I'm going to have a baby. And then it was about 37 weeks um, when I finally told Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, so you guys, I guess I'm, I'm I, guess, I mean, it's 37 weeks now. I guess I'm, I need to commit to this. Like I'm having this. <laughs> um, I think it's officially too late. I, I you know, I definitely look pregnant. Um, Anyway, I, there was so much fear around it. I, I thought, what kind of mom am I going to be? Is this kid going to like me? Um, how is this going to change our world? And it has changed everything. Um, and I, I say with love that he's ruined my life in the best way possible. Because I just, you, you, you don't think about how dramatic the change is until you're until you're in it and, and how I cannot fathom my life without this kid in it now, which is so weird to me because it's not something I, I thought I wanted. And now I can't imagine not seeing his face every single day. He's just the greatest kid in the world. He's so nice. And, th uh -huh. and they're amazing. What's funny is, is um, there, there's a secret, and I'm going to go ahead and reveal it, but there's a secret with those of us that have kids to couples that don't. We're always like, yeah, no, go do it. Yeah, sure. No, it's the greatest thing. And we don't tell you everything that's involved on purpose because right. we want you in our miserable club. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And you know, it is so true. And nobody really tells you what it's like. And the truth is, is they can't because you think it's going to be different for you even when people say, oh my God, you're never going to sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't I mean, slept in two years, you said, I right? I <laughs> haven't slept in two full years. I used to be really cute and now I look like a white walker. <laughs> it is shocking. I, I used to say my, my boobs were so cute before and now they look like they belong on a menu at IHOP. They, <laughs> Like, this kid has sucked the life out of my face and my body. Um, but, you know, but he's great. He really is. He's so fun. Uh, the, the, the visual of the menu is out of control. I'm just going to throw it, that it down. It's so accurate. If I could show you on the radio. <laughs> There's no need to show the other. Tragic, <laughs> itty bitty titties. Is so, it's so bizarre. But having said that, the body is amazing. Isn't it? It is so weird what I just did. I mean, I just grew a, I grew a person and then I fed that person with my food. I mean, it's just so weird. It's, so weird. <laughs> it's, it's insane. 
insane. Yes, it is insane. But uh, and great, great material comes from the kids. You want to talk about writing comedy? Good gracious. Well, that's the thing. It's like I don't even, I can't even take credit for any creative ideas. It's like my kid is just handing me these gems on a platter now. I mean, he's just. It's so funny. Yesterday, I, my husband's been out of town for work and he, I, I put some oatmeal uh, on the table for him. And I was like, listen, and he's two. <laughs> I was like, listen, eat your oatmeal. I've got to go do my makeup. I'll be right back. <laughs> and um, I hear him in here eating his oatmeal. And I'm like, listen to that kid eat, doing what I asked him to do. And I come in here after doing my makeup and I realized that I had failed to put a spoon out for him <laughs> because I'm such an awesome mom. And instead of asking me for a spoon or, and, and I knew he couldn't get to the utensil drawer, in our island in the kitchen is a lower drawer where I keep the serving spoons. That kid went in the drawer and got himself a gravy ladle. <laughs> and ate his oat. He was eating his oatmeal with a gravy ladle. And I was like, you know what? That is, that is resourceful. I was impressed. He's I remember uh, my daughter was like, I, I want to say she's six months old. I actually have this on video. Um, but she, she used to grab her baby food bottle and like make this weird, like where she would kind of shake her head. And it didn't dawn on me until I saw her mom feeding her one day and her mom struggled to open up the the baby food jar. So you know how you strain and, and you kind of shake your, your, your head. Right, right. Right. She had picked up on that and thought that's what you do. She, she'd grab a bottle then she should shake her head. Like she was straining to open. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever oh, seen. Like, they're so, and you cannot say or do anything now. I really have to watch it. Right. Because, you know, if he's going to pick up something, it's definitely going to be something, you know, rocking that I say. So <laughs> my mom is like, Lindsay, you better watch your mouth. I'm the kid. True. So, so how do people book you and, and, and find you, Lindsay? So, I mean, I'm, I'm for sale. I'm on the interwebs. <laughs> Um, I am very available and reachable. You just have to go to your local, um, social media site of your choice. Um, drop me a line on Facebook. Actually don't, because if we're not friends on Facebook, doesn't it get filed away into some secret folder and then uh, something like, like that? Yeah. Okay. So just go to my website, lindsayalley.com and you can, you can find me there. Insta, Twitter. I have an agent. I have all the things. Or call Rick Morris. He's got my cell. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start getting called at all. Uh, I'll give you a commission. I'll give you a commission. There it is. There it is. So uh, quickly, uh, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Um, I've received lots of good advice over the years, and I, um, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't used a lot of it. <laughs> but, um, you know, in... I, and this is this is a sad statement to make. I don't remember who gave me this piece of advice. I I don't recall, but um, it was it was a few years back when you would walk into I would walk into auditions and think, what do they want? What are what are they looking for? In quotes, they what, what do they want? And I was trying to be something else for for a while. And this was this was many years ago. This was probably ten years ago. Um, and I was trying to fit into some mold of what I thought people wanted in show business or what I thought they wanted my show to look like. And um, the best advice somebody gave me was, don't try to be anything. Like, don't try to fit into anything. You are, are your own superpower. Like, the, you are it. The fact that no one else can be you is your biggest asset. And I've carried that with me. And whenever I've thought, you know, oh, I'm not as good or I'm not as this or, you know, my body doesn't look like hers or my face doesn't look like hers. And I just think, yeah, but their face doesn't look like mine. And, and I, I've let myself be me. And I just think that is the one thing that we can all, we should all remember is like, we're all so unique and and being ourselves is our is our superpower. 
That's so, awesome. Well, Lindsay, we love you so much. Thank you for joining us and, and we got to have you back. Thank you. It's so, so wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for having me. This was such fun. So next week, we're going to have the fantastic Barb Stegman. Uh, look, we, we really, I don't know who we bribed or, or who we robbed to get Barb on the show, but Barb uh, basically started a company by going to war-torn countries and sourcing oils and, and minerals from like Afghanistan and um, Iraq and Yemen and, and just these places so that they, she could provide a living uh, to those farmers and then makes perfumes that she sells in Sephora, Macy's, all these places and killing it. Really, really fantastic story. She's going to be with us next Friday. We hope that you're with us next Friday right here on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today.